Remember, this is question and response. Response means fellowship rather than taking the position of giving a final answer, which I'm not in a position to do. Okay. In the booklet, God, Education, Character, the young people are encouraged to pursue as much education as they can, even Ph.D. degrees and 4.0 GPAs. Please expound on the application of this word. Okay. That's a request to expound. Uh, that, that is welcome on the application. You know, I haven't read the booklet for a very long time, but I'll just take this as an accurate presentation of part of the thought. So I am now responding to this. I believe there are a couple underlying principles. One is that to function to the maximum extent as a human in present society, one needs education and training. I add training to education because some by their God-created aptitude um, have a different kind of potential, different kind of skill set. Another matter is that the talent, that is the capacity to serve the Lord in a certain way, is given according to one's ability. And that ability is something we're born with by creation and something developed by education. So enhancing one's human capacity can also increase on God's side what he might commit. Like if I spoke Arabic and eight other languages then the Lord might give me opportunity to preach the gospel to Arabs and be in Arab-speaking countries and other things like that, where it would be pointless to do now. And I believe the context in which this was given was at a certain stage when many younger saints in, in Southern California, you got to remember it's cool, Southern California, you know, that the Lord's coming soon, so we just clean pools and mow lawns, be simple. But uh, that is not a very wise approach to human development. Now, I have some other things to say that are somewhat uh, different in emphasis. Um, I realize... I'm a minority voice in this, so I don't want to make an issue. Especially when it comes to undergraduate education. I feel you should study what you like, what you're interested in, and what you're good at. Because those things match God's creation of you. You have your whole life to be practical. I'm not saying you're impractical. But to force yourself to go against your being and to study what someone else wants you to study 
because they think you'll make more money. I just can't do that. That is to squelch and to suffocate just the humanity of a young person. God created you in a certain way, and it's normal to develop that through education and training. And so related to this is just the simple matter that under, if circumstances permitting, we should even be on a lifelong learning endeavor. And if someone has an exceptional ability in a certain area, I believe God intends that that be developed in full through education and learning. And here is the one warning. Um, And I speak from the point of view of someone whose entire academic orientation was with the humanities, okay, not technical things, not engineering or whatever. Um, Working on a PhD can destroy you. It can can ruin you. And I know, get ready, you'll think this older person is sexist. I don't think I'm sexist. Um, But I have observed on the side of parents and on the side of a very capable young woman, a total lack of awareness to what being in that PhD program for five to seven years in a world-renowned university will do to her. And it really has seriously warped her humanity. I'm not saying this would happen to anybody. Um, So this person in demeanor might be 55% female, 45% male. And it's just affecting her aspiration to be married or whatever, especially in the humanities. But even going under that level You're exercising your being under pressure in certain ways that one should be aware of the risks. When you're aware aware of the risks, then you can be protected from them. But if you're just there with a lot of ambition and a high level of aspiration, um, then you... your professors are ready to mentor you, then you are going to be shaped much more than you could ever expect. And you have to be wary of that. And I would have to say, especially uh, the females in certain academic contexts have to be wary of that. But the same applies to brothers. There are a number of brothers um, serving at Living Stream who have their PhDs. Brother Carey, Roger Good, David Yoon. Others have their master's degrees. They may go on. But one brother 
got his Ph.D. from UCLA. <clears throat> and after he finished, the faculty of his department in the history department, they thought, we don't want to do this again. This young man, and he, he did brilliantly, okay, on every level. And his dissertation was 500 pages long, and it's not a waste. And the professors were astounded at what he produced. But they're bothered now because he never got with the whole program. He just went to class and went home. He just went to the seminars and then went back to work. He got his dissertation project approved, the committee formed, and he wrote his dissertation. He didn't get into the whole scene that we want our PhD candidates to get into, and he had no intention of getting into the whole scene. But because he excelled the way he did, they respected him, but probably now they're going to make a criterion. Would you also kind of just get into the whole scene, the strictly non-academic things. So th those are some comments. However, I would also add this, that in the body of Christ, we need all kinds of members and we need all kinds of people. And we not only need, you know, PhDs, we need welders, we need mechanics, we need finished carpenters. We need all kinds of people. And this emphasis on the purely academic side shouldn't be so strong that other young people are intimidated by this. They feel that they're second class by this. The principle is develop your God-created ability as much as you can. I received uh, an announcement I've been waiting for this for decades. It's not an exaggeration. And the background is, when Brother Lee released in the life study of Genesis this burden about don't clean pools and don't mow lawns all your life, better yourself, get a higher education. The context was with the, the pillar builders, Hiram the pillar builder. And the one who was so useful in building material for the temple that he got his education from his Tyrian father. Then the Tyrian father died and somehow he got transferred from the tribe of Dan to Naphtali. And an application was the whole education endeavor is your Tyrian father. Then it should die and you bury him and then you give yourself to the Lord. Okay. Uh, I received an announcement with a lovely family picture of this brother, his wife, and two children. He just graduated from medical school, and so there was the formal announcement, but on the top he wrote, in honor of the death of my Tyrian father. So this brother... He'll specialize in medicine. He has his residency. Who knows if he'll have a specialty. He's on the right track. Others have been neutralized. They'll be lukewarm for the rest of their life. 
they took in the mixed messages from whatever source was. Yes, you should be a believer. You should be in the church. Of course, you know, we expect you to get the highest education and all of that is positive. But underlying it is, don't go overboard with this serving the Lord stuff. Mm. You know, we, can't we have the church life? You know, can't you stay in Southern California? This is where we live. You're going to migrate to Grand Forks, North Dakota. You're going to go to Tasmania. You're going to go to Europe. Then, then, then comes be practical. Well, when all of that is mixed in with this encouragement, the result is not that beneficial to the recovery. You've got a lot of highly educated saints, a lot of well-trained professionals, they can have an affluent lifestyle, but God doesn't gain very much because that has not been transferred in resurrection. Okay, I, I think I fulfilled the request to expound. The aforementioned was an expounding, okay? In school, I have to take a lot of history and anthropology classes. A lot of the time, Christianity gets brought up and they say, quote, missionaries are all conquerors and don't care about culture and are against science. Talk about a stereotype. Is this an educated person? A clear-minded, balanced, reasonable professor? Unbiased? Making a statement that can be supported with all the data and all the complexities of the situation, that is sheer prejudice, sheer bias against science. Western science grew out of Christianity. Okay, on one hand, as a Christian, you want to support Christ's move, but sometimes you are ashamed because some of what they did was really bad. <laughs> and it's true, some of what missionaries and others did was really bad. We shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge facts. If some went out, let's just sacrifice the UK. They went out to China and they're burdened for the gospel and they despised Chinese culture and they isolated themselves from the people and they didn't want to interact with them on a human level. That's something we acknowledge. We don't have to whitewash that. Lots of things were done that were a disgrace. But to put everyone in that category is simply not a tenable position. And when a, once a professor is going on a diatribe, and that's just the right word to use, right. diatribe, right. you realize he or she is just in his bias right now, taking advantage of the podium to, to spread this. So you should detect this is not something academically sound. This is an opinion. And you are clear that there have been Abuses. Then you tell them about Hudson Taylor. 
who took a Chinese name and had braided hair and a long gown and learned Chinese. Or about other missionaries to China and other countries that didn't impose their culture on the people they were serving. Why aren't they acknowledged? If you're going to talk about it, be fair. Regarding, uh, against science, I mean, there, there is a small branch of fundamentalism that is really weird regarding science. And one of them set up a museum and they have Adam cavorting with Stegosaurus. And, and now they discovered one much bigger than T-Rex. That's absurd to, to present that. That can give the impression that there's just no room for scientific inquiry. But my view is, on the level of truth, there's never a contradiction. The truth is one. So we should not be afraid of any genuine scientific endeavors. I'm not afraid of the estimates and how old the universe is, how old the earth is. You know, we had the minority view that um, those mentioned in Genesis, those human beings, they were preceded by humanoids or something like that in the pre-Adamic age. We don't know much about it. There is a huge, we don't know how long the interview what, interval was after that judgment, but we're just not afraid. But but I kind of dabble in this, you know, for fun, it's stimulating, and also to have some idea of what's going on. And, and even one book on a list to read by an eminent scientist questioning the science fiction of some of the things, taking the theories, intriguing theories, as if they were demonstrated. Well, we're not, we're not afraid of that. But I just say again to round this out, that there are all kinds of Christians with all kinds of minds, and some minds are very small and very narrow. And we just have to acknowledge the mess of the whole situation. We don't apologize for it. But we're not going to accept the lie that this is the way everybody is. You have just made a huge logical error, Professor. You know, drawing this generalization out from insufficient data and, you know, I wouldn't try to put her down, but you realize you know what's coming at you. And so I am ashamed of that behavior. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the co-workers and those that have gone to other countries even now to bring Christ to them at a great cost. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be identified with them. Okay. Good. Okay. If you are not burdened for something that others are burdened for, how do you know if you should take up that burden? And more practically, how do you become burdened for something? <coughs> okay. 
If the whole church is doing something, is burdened for something, and you're not burdened for it, then you should go to the Lord and talk to the Lord and, and Lord, the church is doing this. I don't have the burden to do it. Okay. Then the Lord may include you in the burden. But if you don't have the burden, don't perform. Don't make yourself do something. That's not the body life. That if... Uh, I knew one place, this was the style. There was one brother dominating in the church. He had a good heart, but he dominated. And it was, don't do something unless the whole church is doing something. And if the whole church is doing something, everyone has to do it. So some saints came back from a training on the God-ordained way. They were truly burdened to visit people by knocking on their doors. And he said, no, because the church is not burdened to do this yet, so you're not allowed to do it. Then sometime later, he decided the whole church is burdened, so now you have to do it. This is control, okay? This is control. If others are burdened for something, and I'm not burdened for that, then I bless them in their burden, but I don't do anything. I don't have the burden for that. Why do I have to have a burden for that? Are my flat feet burdened to see? You know, someone says, are they burdened to hear? They're just trying to keep me upright. That's all they're burdened to do. And so we have to be careful of just taking up a burden, so-called, because others are doing it. All that we do should be in spirit and in life and should be genuine. And you should be able to say, I just don't have the burden to do that. So I certainly wouldn't try to take it up just to please somebody or just to make yourself feel more at ease. Now, how, does, how do you become burdened for something? This is a very good question. Um, it really comes from the spirit. And a burden is an inward matter. It is... Uh, it's somewhat like a pressure, but it's something that weighs on you and that requires some outlet. Let's say it's a burden in prayer. Then something is pressing on you. In the spirit. And on your spirit and in your heart. And you need to release it in prayer. Or in a message you might have heard Brother Lee say, you might have heard some of us say, in a lengthy message, say 70 minutes, I haven't come to my burden yet, or this is my burden. The other things were necessary, but the speaker realizes this is the point of particular emphasis in this message. And that always comes from the Spirit. Burden does not come merely from responding to outward need. Uh, just in the past, in, in the past meaning the history of Christianity, well-meaning people have tried to 
stir others to action by painting the history of the great need and people are dying and this and that. And how, how can you not be moved? And people are moved emotionally. They come to the altar. They promise to do something. None of that's burden. The need is everywhere. The need is unending. To just respond to need, then you'll be pulled in this direction and that direction until you're worn out. You don't want any more of this. You may be aware of the need, someone presents it to you, then you bring it to the Lord. It's when the Lord impresses something on your spirit that involves your participation. That's a burden. Burdens come from the Lord's spirit. They're not imposed by others. We're not in a movement. This has to be avoided. You know, we're not stampeding anywhere. We're not doing something merely because others are doing it. Our life with the Lord is personal and affectionate and spiritual and hidden and intimate. And everything we do should be an outgrowth of that. I remember in the middle 1980s, well, just past the middle, about 80s, well, middle 80s and beyond, when Brother Lee was beginning to pursue the Goddard Way and was having a training in Taiwan for the Taiwan Saints. But many were stirred up to go, and one brother came to me where I was serving. He said that, we may just close this down and send everybody there. Which is obviously going to involve me and my family going over there if that's the case. And I remember just literally standing before the Lord and Lord, what should I do? And I realized I don't have any sense to go there. I know what I'm commissioned to do by Brother Lee. He's not going to ask me to go there. What he wants is me to prepare four messages, four life study messages a week for publication. So I didn't do anything because that was a movement. With a good heart, we're all going to go. Then we sang a song, we will wash their socks, we will shine their shoes. It's, it's kind of cute. It's just that it's not something of the spirit and the body. And so we've had enough of this already. If there's, so I think this is sufficient. This should be a personal matter. If others are burdened, how good. The Lord burdened them. That doesn't obligate you. You're not them. You have another portion. You have another function. You have another measure. You're in a different situation. You're in different circumstances. Don't do things unto man. Right? We're not men-pleasers. And we're not living. Don't live to the elders. Don't live to the co-workers. This, this is not the real Christian life. We're living to the Lord in all sincerity. If you don't have a burden, you don't have a burden. We should be open to the Lord if he wants to do something. But don't perform. We're not, don't live to others' expectations. That's not the Christian life. That's not the God-man living. Is there any word of advice to the students on how to properly and healthily adjust 
and be built up with the third-year trainees arriving each semester. So here the students are. And here, and then here, here come the gung-ho XBs. Here they are. Yeah. There's a similar situation with, uh, let's just say, the young people's work in the church in Anaheim. So every term, okay, some are assigned to Anaheim YP. And so the young people are there seeing every year or two the personnel changes, you know. And so it's, they and their parents have a certain view. Well, I don't know if you can be built up. But please receive one another. These ones are here to be trained. They have a heart to be trained. They have a heart for you. Just receive them in the Lord and open your heart and be willing to have fellowship. But it's good for the ex-beers to recognize from the student's point of view, they're seeing this rotating personnel every year. And... um, They do need something a little more stable than that, but there will be some serving ones and others that can provide the stability. I don't know if that was advice, but at least it was a comment. Okay. How do I practice giving as a student? There are two questions here. This is very sweet. And uh, so I will, not discourse exactly, but I will just fellowship about this for three or four minutes. This is a very important discipline to build up for your whole life. Because God operates by law, and by law here I mean governing principles, okay? I'm not talking about edicts or the moral law. Governing principles. And related to giving, which is related to the management of our finance, the primary governing principle is give. Now, prosperity preachers have misused the Lord's word because the Lord did say, given it shall be given to you. He who waters others will be watered himself. But it's nevertheless a divine principle that when we give according to what we have, the Lord will in turn give more. This is a law. Now when we have little, maybe not enough to meet our need according to our view. But then we may feel we can't give or we're excused from giving. Well, I don't want to lay this on you as a demand, but actually that is not the case. If we would learn to live in such a way, would everything I earn, or of everything I earn, or of everything that's given to me, my first action will be to give to the Lord. This is set 
The first fruits are the Lord's. So if you have a part-time job as a student and you are earning something, before you consider how you're going to use that, if you would give what you have agreed to the Lord. And we know there's the Old Testament law. It's like a tax you know, to give 10%. I would rather start somewhere else where you just agree with the Lord that according to what you supply me, I will give X percent, 2%, 4%, whatever it is. You will activate the law of giving. And those that have had considerable experience with this know that you can never outgive the Lord. So you earn more or more is given to you. That's not designated. Whenever something is designated, you have to use it according to its designation. If you can't, then you may have to consider what to do. Now, there still is general need for financial support for all kinds of things. I find it heartbreaking that we would have to withdraw full-timers from Europe because there's not the supply. One great reason for the lack and one reason for saints' own financial difficulty is they do not give. They don't give. And they're in this logic. Well, if I give, I'll have less and I can't meet my needs now. So I don't have to. Well, okay, you don't have to. But then neither does this law apply to you. And you'll sink, in many cases, deeper and deeper into a financial mess. I learned the hard way, but I don't want to tell you what year. It goes back many years. My wife and I, we cleared all debt. Then the decision is made. No more debt. No more accumulation of debt. We'll use a credit card for convenience. Clear the balance every month. We have to, if there's a catastrophic situation, then we, we just leave that as a category of its own. We have to pursue the Lord on that. And then every year, according to Brother Lee's advice to the working saints, we revise our giving upward every year. You may know that Brother Lee had ministered. It would be so good if every person or every earning unit, maybe only one person in a family is working, so it has to be the whole family unit. You give 10% and then 5% for the Lord's work. Then 19 can support one to be full-time in this way. This is not practiced very much, maybe for the reasons that I've given. 
I have to be very careful because of the principle of keeping things hidden. And I'm nowhere where Brother Nee was. Vast amounts of money passed through his hands because he lived in this way. But we left 10 and 5 behind years and years ago. And every start of every year, I'm before the Lord and I have a sense. It's gradual. Lord, we raise our giving this much. And I check with my wife to be sure she has the matching faith, right? So I don't push her beyond what her faith is. Otherwise, I'll accept some limitations so she isn't stumbled. And then, without fail, at the end of that calendar year, we're just amazed. Where did this come from? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray for the law of gravity to work. So, as a student, if you have money that you earn or money that you're given that is not designated, if it's designated for your tuition, use it for your tuition, okay? But if it's discretionary, then consider building up the practice of giving. And in the New Testament, you have twice, this is mentioned, the saints gave as the Lord prospered them. I don't believe the Lord is satisfied if, let's just say, you got a brother who's an interventional cardiologist and his net income is $925,000 a year. I have no problem with that. You went through a lot to get that skill. I don't begrudge you that, that, that kind of income at all. I'm not envious of you. Do you think the Lord is happy if he gives 92500 Do you think the Lord's happy with that? Do you think it's possible, I mean, even in Boston, do you think it's possible that that brother could get by on 500,000? You think he could make it somehow? <laughs> I'm kind of playing with this. I think the Lord would say, I prospered you for a reason. You can have this kind of standard of living. We're not Marxists here, right? We're not. And the all things common thing didn't hold up, right? They tried it in Acts. That's, that's not a fixed practice. When you get to the epistles, you got the rich, you have the non-rich. But this is huge because according to the parable in Luke 16 about the unrighteous mammon, if you're not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the Lord will not give you the true riches. Okay, then the other question is, how do I study the ministry as a student? Well, just little by little, as consistently as your situation permits. Don't lay upon yourself some burden that you don't have the time and the energy to carry out. But probably, 
you can read the Bible for 15 minutes, probably. And maybe in addition to that, you might be able to read part of a life study or something for another 10 or 12 minutes. I think most students can do this if you consider what most students do recreationally. I do think on more days than not, you can find some time. I like the subtitle in Elders Training Book 3 on Pursuing the Truth. The tortoise wins the race. So just be a tortoise. Just keep putting one paw in front of the other, little by little. That is reasonable for a student. Don't lay yourself or don't let anyone lay a burden on you that you can't do. But if you want to look the Lord in the eye and say, I don't have time, then open yourself. Okay, let the Lord go through your your whole day. Don't have time. How much time was online that wasn't real research? How much time for this? If you just reduce that by 12 minutes, you got your half a life study. Okay. That's the way I think. I want to gain my classmates, but to do that, I need to make friends with them. How do I make friends with my classmates without being drawn into the world? Okay. The Lord Jesus is called the friend of sinners. But in Hebrews 7, we're told he was separate from sinners. So he could contact sinful people because that's all there is, right? That's all there is on the whole earth. There just ain't nobody else, right? (laughs) And he would allow them to contact him, that woman who washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he called Matthew, tax collector, to be an apostle. And Matthew was happy, so he had a dinner and he invited his friends. And they're all a bunch of crooks, tax collectors and sinners. That's the only friends he had. That's the friends Howard Higashi had. You might have heard his testimony. And he, in a sense, tested us after he got saved. How will they relate to my friends? And the brothers did very well, like Brother Wayne Johnson from Philadelphia. He can tell you. So it is possible to befriend people without being drawn into their social life, into their activities. We're just friends in some kind of common area. But the Lord within you knows how to be both a friend of sinners and to be separate from sinners. And certain things they may ask you to do. I did did this with a fellow teacher. I brought him to the Lord. Then he was getting married, and he, and he wasn't marrying a believer, and the wedding wasn't going to be in a sanctified way, and he asked me to be his best man. 
So I had to tell him sincerely, I can't do it. But I made one mistake. I really regret. I should have attended the wedding. I should have attended. Brought him a gift. But that was in the early days and I was too religious. So it was all or nothing. So I threw out the, threw the baby out with the dishwater or the bathwater or whatever. <clears throat> now, how do I shepherd my trainees? Uh, my trainees. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like a trainer here. <laughs> my trainees. But he couldn't have written the first question, so it's not from... Well, I have to just not hide behind, but just present something general. Just how do you shepherd anyone? You, you, you care for them. You're concerned for them. And you supply life to them in a divinely human way. But don't make a project of anybody. No one wants to be a project. When someone is coming at you to fulfill a commission to, because they've got a list, you know, you've got to tick off the shepherding column, that you want to be in contact with someone you know that is warm toward you, has a heart for you. Um, and it's pleasant to be with them and they minister life to you. How can my mind be renewed while I'm engaged in a discussion in class? Well, the mind is, the renewing of the mind is the same under all circumstances. And that is the mingled spirit spreads into our mind, gains ground in our mind, and governs our thinking in that particular matter. So there is a discussion, and you are there, uh, a branch abiding in the vine, we say in faith, and you're one with the Lord, then inwardly you're exercised. How may I meaningfully and honestly contribute to this? And it may be that many of the concepts that are circulating, you just can't embrace them. You can only kind of speak contrary to them. But if you are there, one spirit with the Lord, he knows you're there. He's living in you uh, during that discussion session. He would like to really be a student in you. He'd like to live in you as a student in that discussion session. Let him live, and by the anointing, you will know whether you should say anything or not, or what you should say. That's why when the professor in this graduate class I had, who wanted all the students who present something for five minutes that he would record, <clears throat> they were covering all kinds of stuff trying to give a half-hour lecture in five minutes. But as I mentioned, I think I mentioned, but maybe I didn't mention. When you're not young, you don't always remember what you mentioned. <laughs> as if you do, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay. And I decided I'm going to speak on the human spirit. 
But I'll wait for three minutes, you know, to build up the suspense. There's a part of you you don't know you have. It's the deepest part of you. You're not a human. You know, you heard this. And then it was, they were all just wide open. I don't think they'll ever forget that. So the Lord will live in you. He will anoint you. There's no one who can tell you what you should do. You've got the inward teacher. Let him live in you. How should we approach relationships with people of the opposite gender? In the old days, we said the opposite sex, but okay, gender it is. (laughs) Gender it is. I want to ask this because I feel like that's something college students are constantly exposed to and maybe feel like they have very little guidance. Okay, let me approach this in the following way. I'm with my older son, who's a teenager. And when you are with kids like this, stuff happens just spontaneously. You know, you just don't sit down and talk. They just pop out things. So we got in the Albertsons parking lot and I turned off the car and he said, Dad, how old do I have to be before I can start dating? And I'm being accurate, okay? He was really cute and had a pleasant personality. and The girls liked him and when girls like boys, they... They're quite assertive, you know. One, believe it or not, delivered an apple and put it on the the front porch. I don't know what kind of message that was. (laughs) 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 What tree she got it from. So I'm seeking the Lord. What should I say? Admittedly, this is not college, but I think it, by extension, it applies. I said, well, it depends. If you are for the Lord, you will wait quite a while. If you're not for the Lord, you'll probably start dating a lot sooner. I left it that way. Um... A lot depends upon your view, upon your realization. I had to be very careful. My whole past was buried with Christ. My old man was buried with Christ. But when I was in high school and university, even graduate school, seminary, I wasn't in the Lord's recovery. And so I had various interactions with females is that look back upon the whole thing. I can't think of one matter that I don't regret. There's hardly one pleasant memory of the whole span, say of 12 years. It's not that I was profligate and wild. It's just, there was just no benefit Eventually, I had to repent of everything. 
I couldn't say, Lord, thank you. That really was of you. I was one with you. I was in your name. I glorified God in this. I could not. And I realized, talk about going against the tide. This is going against the tide. And we're human. Spirit, soul, and body. We have needs. We have longings. There's no doubt about it. But if on the brother's side, they would consecrate to the Lord and ask the Lord to grace them, to preserve them in this matter until the right time. When the right time comes, you'll really be thankful. If some mistakes were made along the way, and I'm, I've cared for too many saints and involved with too many lives, not to know the human weaknesses, then you receive the Lord's mercy and forgiveness, and you start again. And you learn from that situation. Uh, certain sisters, and by certain, I think it will come clear by my indirect speaking. There's some sisters, not by their behavior, but just by their attractiveness. They may arouse the interests of all kinds of males that are not sons of God. And they have to decide just how they'll handle that. At the same time, I don't feel good when a a brother and a sister are beginning a courtship and both of them are altogether clueless on how to talk, okay, to the opposite gender. (laughs) I think somehow you... We can, you can learn to be human. You can have some kind of conversation. You can interact. You don't have to be so segregated that you don't know how to talk with a sister for three minutes. I never talk with a sister for three minutes. Good. It's good that you're preserved, but now you're kind of weird. <laughs> that is not a necessary byproduct of sanctification. But, but how that is to be worked out, I don't know. But it, it can be just in the group settings, in the informal group settings in the church life. We can begin to learn how to interact properly and humanly with, okay, this is the third time I'm getting it correctly, with the opposite gender. This is complicated. We can share certain things in principle. But when it comes to lives, we have to love people and care for people as they actually are and what their actual history was, no matter what it was, and to help them to realize you've got a glorious future ahead of you. Okay? I don't have the burden to labor for my school, but I feel like I should have this feeling. What can I do? 
Okay, um, maybe I'm going against the. I'm not trying to be contrary or ornery. I don't. I don't know if students should have to labor. They're students. They should be working on their studies, but can you not abide in the vine while you're there? Can you not give yourself to the Lord? I'm, I'm a student, but I'm a branch. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't have the burden to labor as if I'm a worker. But neither do, am I living two lives. I'm a child of God. I'm a member of the body. I'm a branch in the vine. I'd like to abide in you and bear fruit in this context. And it wasn't in a student context, but it was in an employment context. Wherever I was for any length of time, someone there got saved. A fellow worker, in some cases a student that you could appropriately speak to outside of class, then I would recommend, now if someone is, is burdened to labor, I'm not going to pour cold water on your burden to labor. Then you have the heart and you can do that. <clears throat> but if someone doesn't have the burden, I think we have to be careful not to force them to do something that whatever reason, they don't have the labor to do, burden to do. But if you would look at this from another angle, I would like, I'm willing to bear fruit I don't know anything about vines, but I don't think the branches are laboring. I think they're rather just enjoying the flow of life and the benefits of being in the vine. Maybe that could be an alternative for you. But you say, I feel like I should have this feeling. Okay. So when you're a should, now you're under an expectation. So what do you do when you have this should in you. Again, I would bring it to the Lord. Lord, I don't have the burden. I feel that I should have the burden. Do I need to feel that I should have the burden? Do you want me to have a burden? Then if you want me to have a burden, I'm willing for you to cause me to have a burden. What more can you do? But while that is either taking place or not, <clears throat> please realize that you're a branch in the vine. And yes, there is the aspect of the labor in the gospel and the campus. I know that. But also in the word and in Brotherly's ministry is a strong emphasis on fruit bearing by abiding. This by being one with the Lord. Lord, today... I'm just live in me as a student. Be one with me. Enable me to be one with you. Then you meet people. You study together. You're in a study group together. Or you befriend someone so you can have coffee together or have a lunch together in a common situation. And you do that by abiding in the Lord. And then one day they open up. 
And that day you flow out. And that day you bring, you beget someone. You can do that. Even without a, quote, burden to labor. Hi, Brother Ron. Hi, back. A lot of times I feel like <clears throat> I am still living my serving one slash parents' church life. How can I make it my own? This is very sweet. And to have this realization is quite precious. Uh, I'm quite keen on this, this in my own exercise of the need for this, that at a certain point, the Lord himself becomes yours. Your father's God becomes yours. Your parents' church becomes yours. Your parents' recovery becomes your recovery. And this can happen See, how is asking for a method is not a method, but this can happen in a few ways. One is you see the vision for yourself. It's no more secondhand. You yourself are receiving this spirit of wisdom and revelation, and you see it. And the vision makes it yours. Because the vision televises the reality into your being. And now it's yours. That our firstborn was a daughter. And we prayed for her along this line from the very beginning. On the one hand, that the Lord would show her the van at an early age the vanity of the world. The Lord would show her. She would see herself that it's vain. Not just be told and warned, but see herself. And that her parents' faith, her parents' way would become hers. Now, just a few days ago, I received an email from a sister I know, she's married to a co-worker. They're in Brazil now, they're in Russia for many years. She's a pneumatic mom. You know, and she, and she, like my daughter, like all of you, like everybody except me, you're on Facebook, okay? <laughs> and she said, Becky, put this post. Um, on the Facebook. Okay. I think I, I, I've got it. I think I can read it. No, no, I won't look for it. I'll just paraphrase it to save time. And she said, I thought that you would enjoy seeing it. Well, <clears throat> she, what she wrote was an allusion to Emmy Barber's hymn, Wrecked Outright on Jesus' Breast. I think it's 637 or 627. Wrecked out right on Jesus' breasts, not even owning a craft to sail the sea, 
in the little souls that hug the shore, fearing what the storm may bring, never find in Jesus' breast, but wreck souls, learn by rest. And then um, Sister Barbara writes about she's anchored to infinity. So she wrote this, referring to herself in the third person, you know, she is wrecked, doesn't own a craft, is floating on the sea, yet anchored to infinity. Ah, then she said, taking the way far, far less traveled. Then because she knows mom and dad are not on Facebook, she said, I know you'll never see this, colon. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad, for showing me the way. Okay. So it's her way, you see. He stood for this. It can't just be passed on. We present it to you. We live it out before you. But it has to become yours by seeing. And there's another way it becomes yours. It's when you realize that, yes, you're a member of the body. The Lord is moving throughout the earth. But you are here for a particular purpose. And each one of us has a God-ordained journey to take. And Paul was alert to this. He told the elders in Ephesus, I don't count my soul life precious to myself, that I may finish my course. He can't finish anyone else's course. He has to run the race set before him and accomplish what God ordained him to do. Then this is strengthened in John 21. As you know, the Lord indicates to Peter how he will die as a martyr when he's older. So Peter gets the word. Uh, I will die and I will be, I will glorify the Lord in my dying. So he's been close to John all this time. So he asked the Lord, well, what about, what about John? I really love this. The Lord said, he may not die. If I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? See, sometimes we may think the Lord led me to do this. That means he's leading everybody else to do this. No, that's your subjectivity. So in the context of the church life and the body life, it's so endearing to realize we all have our personal journey to make. That's no one else's. I mean, my wife and I have been married for 48 years. Actually, we're not exactly on the same course, right? 
we're together, we're intertwined. And how it will end, we don't know. It's when you also touch this, that you matter. You're not somebody else. 1 Corinthians 15.10 I am what I am by the grace of God. And the Lord created you, he saved you, regenerated you, caused you to be born into this context, preserved you, educated you, training you, because you have an indispensable part here. When this joins the vision, it's yours. Then it's yours. And not only it's, it's yours, not simply because of your parents, 90% of your peers could leave 10 years from now, and you will not. Because that's what happened to, to almost all my peers. The best of them. They left. I'm no better. I don't love the Lord more. I'm no more absolute. But something in me won't let me go. When that is in you, then the vision is yours. The divine economy is yours. All the truths become yours. The church life is yours. Then you're motivated from within. You don't have the sense that it's hand-me-down, that it's second-hand, that I'm leaving someone else's church life. Now, there's another element, but that's not, this is not something you can employ. It, it, it's really helpful when parents give their daughters and sons room for this to happen. They give them room to breathe, they give them room to live, that the aspiration in the parent's heart is finish your course. Not finish my course. Not be what I was. Not do what I did. You're not me. Finish your course. Whatever it is, wherever it takes you. And my daughter, she had to perfect her dad in one matter, and daughters can perfect dads. <clears throat> because sisters, they just know stuff. So then when they tell you the stuff they know, you get either perfected or blown out. But <laughs> anyway, she realized that <clears throat> by the Lord's grace, her, her dad is willing to pay whatever price the Lord required for the Lord's ministry and the Lord's recovery. She also realized, I'm trying to protect her from God. Meaning, I'm trying to protect her from any suffering that may come. And she said, Dad, Dad, this may happen, that may happen. You have to let it happen. So I was enlightened that in my natural affection, I am unintentionally, unconsciously inhibiting her because 
I wanted to suffer what I'm suffering, but I didn't want to suffer through her suffering. So I let it go. And she really, really suffered. But that's the Lord's arrangement. She has no regrets for that. That's the Lord's way. I'm not exaggerating. If I had 10 lifetimes as a dad, I never would have vaguely dreamed that what happened would happen. But it happened. And the gain is, thank you for showing me the way. What way? The way of not hugging the shore. The way of when the Lord says, launch out into the deep, you just go. If there are storms, there are storms. So, somehow they got in her. The vision got in her. The sense of her own direction got in her. And the release from anything coming from the parents that's natural, that would hold her back from following the Lamb wherever he may go. So this, sister, I'm pretty sure it's his sister, but I may be wrong. This is my heartfelt response to your question. There's nothing you have to do to make it happen. You can pray simply, Lord, make it my own. Make it real to me. Make the vision, the truth, your economy, the recovery, the church real to me. But you are you, by the grace of God. You're not someone else. What are practical ways on how we, the student core, can be built up so that we can make an impact on our campus? Should we have set prayer times, read a book, etc.? We want to be effective with the gospel, our gospel preaching, shepherding, new ones, and so on. Very precious. Um, how much can I say when this is not my field of labor? You know, others that are serving with you and are overseeing you and guiding you, they can say much more. But I can share um, some things in principle. You do need to come together and let the Lord blend you. Let the Lord blend you. And we're blended by when we really pray genuine prayers. Their spirits are knit together. And we're blended by genuine fellowship in which we let others know us in Christ. There's always a limit, but it can't just be merely on a spiritual level. You're human beings here. If you're to coordinate together, there needs to be some understanding on the positive side of just our human situation or if something is happening 
there's been a loss or you're going through a challenging time, then there needs to be some. These are your peers, your first line of supply in which you can just say, you know, we're burdened for this. Can we pray about my actual situation and something happening in my family or whatever? <clears throat> so this is the prayer and the fellowship in which you become of one accord. The blessing is on the one accord. What is the one accord? The one accord is the oneness of the spirit. Which oneness is the spirit himself in our spirit? This oneness is applied to all the parts of our soul, mainly through fellowship. In Acts 15, there was a very serious matter. It concerned the truth of the gospel with some of the circumcision party insisting the Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or they can't be saved. Then you got Paul writing Galatians with a very different view. They came together. They didn't fight. The text says there was much discussion. <clears throat> and then at the end they wrote a letter and as a preface to the letter, James said, we having arrived at one accord. And so in addition to praying together and having divine and human fellowship, by which you know each other to some extent in Christ, there are a lot of things you don't bring forth. But they should know something. You shouldn't be a mystery to each other. There is this because you're working on something, you're planning something, you want to accomplish something, you're humans, you're not robots, you may have different views, different feelings about something, then you fellowship until you arrive at one accord, the oneness of the spirit is applied to your mind, your emotion, your heart, your will, and then you're all of one soul. This is what brings in the blessing. The blessing is on the one accord. It's not on what any powerful preacher or gifted person is able to do independently. It's on the one accord. And so actually you apply the principles of the God-ordained way to your campus situation. I believe the brothers in Austin have explored this very much. You're kind of a vital group with vital companions and you have genuine prayer and genuine fellowship then if you had the sense it would be profitable for us to go through this particular ministry book you're not doing it as the thing to do you just have the realization we need what's here right now right this is not an activity we need what's here and then as you go through it the Lord speaks to you through that I can only offer that. And this is all the questions. And it's three minutes to one. So we have three minutes left, which we don't have to use. But does anybody have a question that... Well, 
It's the responses that are long, it's the questions that are short. Otherwise, maybe we just stop here. I hope you feel okay. I feel very good. We covered a number of things. Please take it all as fellowship. Okay, I'm not speaking ex cathedra. I'm not even a pope that I can speak ex cathedra. That's why I don't like to say I'm giving answers except when it comes to the truth. If the answer is revealed in the word, we give it. Otherwise, we just fellowship. Okay? So may the needs behind all of these questions be abundantly answered by my God and your God. Okay? My God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Your God will supply all your need. Okay? Good? Maybe we'll see some of you tomorrow at the conference if your situation allows. The Lord be with you.